Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these um, this series of stories in the book of Daniel that point us to you, not to some human hero. God, I pray that um, this morning, as we hear some hard words, that our hearts would be soft to hear them. God, we just thank you. We praise you for your protection. Thank you that, uh, that Amanda wasn't hurt in the accident this, this weekend. God, we know that could have gone a lot differently. We just, we just praise you for that. Thank you for, um, just thank you for shielding her. Um, God, there's so many we could lift up, lift up before you. People we know that are sick, uh, that have COVID or other ailments that are, um, that are struggling. God, we just pray for your healing hand there. God, I pray for the ministries ahead of us in the, in the year in front of us. I pray for the college students that we're going to, um, be ministering to and the, and the families that will come to us. God, I pray that you would divinely show us how we can best connect, divinely show us how we can meet needs and minister and reach, reach out for your kingdom. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, Turn your Bibles to Daniel, chapter 5. Handwriting on the wall. Um, I have have to say, I I know I've I've mentioned many times, basically every week, about um, how preaching this series of familiar stories has been challenging to me. Um, But so true in, in this one. I had, I had never, never really considered the gospel implications of this story of the handwriting on the wall. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and read it, and then I'll explain what I mean. Laz, you're going to find out what I mean uh, you know, next week as you preach the lion's den, you know. I don't, I don't know if you've preached it. Like, there's something about preaching these, like, classic old Sunday school stories, looking at them through the gospel lens, man. It's, it's different. Unless you grew up in a really good Sunday school. Okay. Now, never mind. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. Um, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. They brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing 
or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. I just want to pause here. Before reading the writing, which he said he's going to do, he first gives, gives this, uh, this punk king a history lesson. Which I love. Sorry. <clears throat> O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind, and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the meaning that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, 
God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Teko, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. May God bless the reading of his word. Or rather, God always blesses the reading of his word. Um... One thing that is really important to, uh, before, like as we approach this, this chapter and seek to pick it apart and, and understand it, it's important to remember a key thing. This, the book of Daniel was not written down and, and recorded for Persian history books. Or Babylonian history books, for that matter. It's important for us to, to recognize that Daniel, as a as a prophet and as a historical figure and as a biblical writer, was writing for the people of Israel and for us. The Bible was written for us, even if it wasn't written to us. But understand, this this was written to the people of Israel who were in exile so that they would remember some things. And when we understand that, I, I think we can look, look at the whole book a little differently. The, the Eastern way of thinking is not a linear thing where you, where you, you like if you read, if you read the, um, the book of Romans. Romans is like our favorite book because Romans think like Americans think. You build, you know, they valued logic and you just, you, you know, you, you lay out the problem, you, um, and then you build the solution or you build your case and then you have a conclusion and it's very linear. Make sense? The, the, the Eastern way of thinking is stories, which always make a point and teach a lesson. And often, because that's the Eastern way of thinking, an Eastern book written for Eastern people who are, who think in an Eastern way, tell the stories and they don't always wrap it up and say, and this is because, and make the point because they don't need to do that. They're already thinking that. And so it's important for us to realize that all of these stories are not just stories. You, you notice like this isn't a biography of Daniel. We don't have like Daniel's life where he just kind of explains, you know, starting from when I got taken to Babylon, here's what happened to me. We have these little snippets, these little stories and these stories each make a point. And I want to make the case that they, they make a point um, for the gospel. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to I'm gonna, gonna read a very brief um, synopsis of these things. Um, the, um, okay, previously we've learned that God will remember sinful people, Daniel chapter 1. He will rescue an unworthy people, Daniel chapter 2. He remains right here with his people, Daniel chapter 3, the fire furnace. He can show mercy to the worst of people. Last uh, chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar. Now in chapter 5, there's an aspect of grace for us to deal with. God also reveals his judgment on the unrepentant. 
it is it is very important that we that we consider this. So when we, when you you look at these stories through that lens and realize, oh, these stories are making the point that like God hasn't forgotten about people. God, you know, God. Yeah. Anyway, all the things I just said that actually Brian Chapel said because he's really smart. Um, <clears throat> This chapter, chapter 5, stands in stark contrast to chapter 4. Um, Belshazzar is a successor to Nebuchadnezzar. It, it may actually, Nebuchadnezzar may have been his grandfather, may not have even been his biological whatever, but, but in, the, in the succession of kings, Belshazzar came after. The word father can mean predecessor. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily, it could, it could mean, so that could mean in, in your family, in your office as king, whatever. So I say that because Daniel is one of one of the favorite books of people that like to say there's errors in the Bible. They say, "Well, well, Belshazzar, maybe he he might not have even been a king. It was probably Nabonidus." This is all stuff you don't care about. But where he says, "Whoever can read it will be the third ruler in the kingdom," that would be the three: Belshazzar, Nabonidus, Daniel. It fits. It all still fits. Just crazy. You know, that, that biblical history actually fits with what we know about history. Isn't that just crazy? Uh, it's not crazy, um, because we know God's word is true. A- anyway, I, I say that because we don't, we don't seek to, we don't look at like, oh man, I'm getting in the weeds here. Like, anyway, we, we don't look to like other historical sources to confirm the Bible. We believe the Bible to be true and authoritative, like that's important. And so when we see these things that where it intersects with other historical accounts, we say, "See, told you so." Um, so anyway, there's your there's your takeaway on that. Um, <clears throat> stands in stark contrast with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar because Nebuchadnezzar was like the worst kind of the worst kind of people, and yet God saved him. God humbled him. He his heart was softened and humbled before God and. God saved him. And here we see a very different story. We see Daniel come in and have some hard words. And when we look at this through the lens of the gospel, we have to realize that hard words are loving words. Especially in this case. If, if, you're probably familiar with the concept that it is not loving to not share with someone hard things sometimes. And uh, <clears throat> Daniel, Daniel, he, he loved King Nebuchadnezzar. It, it, it's clear. I mean, when he has to, when he has to give some hard words to Nebuchadnezzar, he says it with grief in his voice. And we're, we're going to get to, we're going to get to that. Um, why that's important later, but he's like, may, may this not, may this interpretation be for someone else. Like, I wish this was for your enemies, but it's for you, and it's going to happen. And I wish you didn't have to go through this to know God, to come to Him. But God has said this is what's going to happen, and like you, you, you can read that tone. And if we're not careful, we can read a uh, kind of an angry, frustrated tone from Daniel in this one. And I think there's probably some of that. Daniel Daniel labored for most of his career with Nebuchadnezzar to to effect change in this kingdom and in this in this, in this king's heart his his entire life was 
was or, or his entire um, you know career and everything up to this point you know had had been this this process of gaining influence with the king and then using that influence to bring him to a knowledge of God and then that knowledge wasn't enough the king actually had to bend his knee and God had to do that but but then there was change in the kingdom as a result of some of that and here you have a generation later this guy who has unchanged all the change that Daniel had worked so hard for. Was he angry? Was he frustrated? Probably. But he was also sad. And, and I, I really, like, I realize that you could say, well, you're really reading between the lines there. Um, but, but let's, let's acknowledge that Daniel took to heart more than most the challenge by Jeremiah to seek the welfare of the city. He took that to heart and he sought the welfare of the king and of the city. And, and here's someone who's come and undone so much good they, that so much work went into. Frustrated, yes, but also um, it's sad. The first, uh, the first point that we want to make here is, is uh, beware. There, uh, King Belshazzar, I'm going to give you a quick, quick rundown of why King Belshazzar is probably throwing this party. He is currently under siege by the armies of Cyrus the Great. <clears throat> he is, uh, who is, who is a, uh, part of the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, those armies have encircled Babylon. But Babylon is one of the wonders of the ancient world. Babylon, the, the walls were so thick. I mean, they were like 300-some feet high, 80-some feet wide. They were in, impenetrable. Impregnable? I've heard it both ways. Anyway, couldn't get in. Um, the, the city, the metropolis that these walls encircled was so huge... You could grow crops inside the city walls. So you couldn't be starved out. Not really. You might have some extra people you kick out, but like, you couldn't be starved out. And so he, like, siege? What siege? We'll wait you out. (laughs) And we'll, and we'll survive. They can grow food in the walls. In fact, the river Euphrates flowed right through the city, flowed under the wall, through the city, and under the wall at the other side. The mighty river. There was great pride in that. King Nebuchadnezzar was all about building his, you know, his, the, the building projects were his legacy. And that was the thing when he surveyed, is not this great Babylon which I have built for the glory of my majesty. That's what he's looking at. And Belshazzar comes a, a couple of kings later and he's, he is, you know, basking in the, in the wonders of this. And here he is under siege. He ain't worried. And, um, <clears throat> Now that said, he didn't think they could get in the city, but I mean, let's be honest. If your city's under siege, <laughs> kingdom's in a little bit of a tough spot. And um, very likely this feast is a a um, a slap in the face to the enemy that is that is has besieged your city. It is b a an attempt to boost morale within the city. Hey guys, come on, don't worry about those armies out there. We're fine in here. In fact, we're going to throw a party. Um, and C, 
was quite possibly and likely, based on what he says in here in the first few, few verses of this chapter, something of a ceremony to the gods of um, these different materials, basically gods of strength and wealth, gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, to seek their deliverance from you know, the, the siege that they're under. It's all of these things. What he doesn't know is that um, the general for Cyrus the Great has been undertaking a project of his own. Very likely, okay, I, I want to say this like biblically, you know, authoritatively, but very likely scholars pretty well agree that the way he did this, if you're a history nerd, you're going to love this. I love this stuff. You can't get in the city of Babylon. The walls are too thick. It's too well defended. This huge river flows through it. You can't starve them out. You can't, you know, they're not going to die of thirst or anything. They're not going to be eating each other in there. Like, they're, they're fine. What are you going to do? So the general, for Cyrus the Great, gets all of their slaves that they've acquired and their soldiers, and they start digging. And they dig a canal, like, from the downstream side up around the city of Babylon and this very night that the handwriting comes on the wall they finish that digging project into the upstream side of the river Euphrates and divert the flow of the river around the city. The armies where it says he was killed that very night this, this was not a battle. This, it, like if you read historical accounts of this change of, this change of administration it happened Overnight, it was like the Anschluss in, uh, in, in when Nazi Germany took over Austria without a fight. It was like, I mean, like they literally, they diverted the flow of the river. The army marched in on the dry riverbed underneath the wall and took the city in one night, just like that. The most powerful, most protected, you can't get in here city taken over in a night. It's incredible, incredible. Here's, here's the, the, the biblical points. First of all, there is no wall thick enough or high enough. There is nothing that can protect an unrepentant soul from the wrath of God. Nothing. This is a picture of that. Belshazzar is, is, a, is a picture of, of the re- rebellious, unrepentant, proud spirit that will not bend its knee to the God of heaven who trusts only in his own strength and his own power and even false gods. And if that weren't enough, he then takes the vessels, the holy vessels from, that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem and incorporates them in this drunken ceremony to false gods. And God says enough. It is important to know that there does come a point where God says enough. If you look at Romans chapter 1, it's a, it's a classic example of God saying enough. For the wrath of God, starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And, and, you, and you, you, you go down to verse 24 and 26, for this reason, therefore God gave them up that is one of the most chilling phrases in Scripture because we need to understand that 
God often withholds punishment from those that disobey Him. We're so thankful for that. As sinners, saved by grace, those of us that, that have been saved, um, we're certainly thankful for that. Because that gave us the opportunity to come to Christ. That gave us the opportunity to bow our knee to the God of heaven. That He didn't destroy us immediately when we disobeyed. And in fact, He very often gave us more than one chance. Repeated opportunities to repent. But there comes a time when, we've, when we harden our hearts and decide that, you know what, this sinful lifestyle is going to be the thing that I'm just I'm doing this. And I don't care anymore. And this defines me. Or, or, or whatever, what have you. God can... Man, some, some of the worst judgment against sin is, where, is when God just allows our own sinful choices to run their course. There are consequences to our sin. Some of those consequences are just built in. They're not like God striking us with lightning. They're just the results of what we do. King Belshazzar um, did not have a heart that was willing to bow before the God of heaven. It's interesting, after he gives this history lesson to... After Daniel gives him this history lesson, he says, all this you knew. You have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. His predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, was just this great example of someone who bowed his knee to the God of heaven and had his glory restored from him. He didn't, he didn't like lose out because of it. But not Belshazzar. There is, it, it is such a warning to all of us, especially those that have not bowed their knee to the God of heaven, that there is no wall thick enough, there is nothing we can do to escape the wrath of God against unrighteousness except faith in Christ. Beware. Uh, second point is no human security won't last. There's, um, there is no amount of... Um, You know, human security. I mean, whether whether it's a you know the, the the amount of money in your bank account or the amount of stuff that you've acquired or the uh, the, the great job that you have a, a great position at or what what have you. I'm just trying to come up with examples that would kind of translate to to today. Um, God holds it all in His hand, like Daniel says to him, "The God in whose hand is your breath." I love that phrase. In whose hand is your breath? God, God took everything from Nebuchadnezzar, and in, and in here also takes everything from, from Belshazzar. It doesn't matter. Human security doesn't mean anything to God. It can be taken away like that. Uh, spiritual insulation won't work. This was, this was, oh, this was a point that Brian Chappell makes in his book here. Um, again, strongly recommend you read it. It's good. He puts it this way, that when we, when we know about God, we know about Jesus and we know what He did for us on the cross, and we decide we're going to sin anyway, and God will forgive us, 
It's like we're it's like we're just smearing Christ's blood on our sin as kind of this uh, this this insulation against God's wrath. Like, can't get me. I can do this. I can do this stuff, and I, I know you don't like it, but I know you, you're gonna forgive me, so don't worry about it. It's this attitude toward the God of Heaven about <laughs> the blood His. Son shed for our sins. That is just such a slap in the face to God. And this was really challenging to me because so often in our lives we have these respectable sins. That's the name of a book. But you know, these things that like, like we know we shouldn't do them, but you know, God loves us. I'm saved anyway. So, you know, you know what I mean? We, we kind of have this attitude that like, well, you know, it's not ideal, but God wants me to be happy, or, or, or what have you. But the reality is, the cross stands as a picture, as a warning to the, the unrepentant. The cross stands there as a symbol of God's wrath against sin. When Jesus took the sin of the world on his shoulders, that's the level to which God had to punish it. And what we actually see of a man hanging on a cross is it doesn't even begin to capture the wrath of God spiritually against sin. But it's something physical we can kind of get our heads around. It stands as a warning and it also stands as a as an expression of love. This is how much God loves us that He will punish His only Son for things that you did. It is both of those things. It is both a warning and an expression of love. We can't spiritually insulate ourselves using, using Christ's sacrifice to just continue in our sins. Um, two more points. First, we, we need to grieve. We need to grieve about sin. I think I think this is this is common to a lot of us, especially those of us that have have ministered to other people that um, have frustrated us by their sin. We can get frustrated by their sin. We can get angry about their sin and fail to be sad about it. Fail to have a heart that is sad for the person that will not bend their knee to the God of Heaven. We just we just get angry. Well, as, as though as though we're the ones to be offended, as though we're the ones being sinned against, and maybe we are. But all sin is against God first, and we we can so often have the wrong reaction, and in doing so, we miss a big piece of how God feels about sin. Does God hate sin? Absolutely. Does God punish sin? Always. He either punishes the sinner or he punishes his son. But sin will all be punished. But God loves sinners. And so the, the, the grief that God experiences when he has to punish an image bearer in sin is lost on us when we just get angry or frustrated. It's important for us to, to grieve over people's sin, certainly over our own sin. 
Yeah, the last point here is, is repent. King, Neb- or King, King uh, Belshazzar does not. In this story, he did not repent. In fact, <laughs> I, I don't even know if he believed Daniel. He, 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 he calls Daniel in. He interprets the thing. Says some really hard things to him. And he says right at the beginning, he's like, give, the, give your rewards to somebody else. Because it's not going to matter. At the end, he says all these hard things, and uh, by the way, your kingdom, like it's being taken away from you and is divided, and uh, like your time, your time here is done. And he's like, "Give him a purple robe, put him, uh, put a gold chain on him. You're the third rule in the kingdom." And I, I just picture this scene where they're they're like celebrating and putting this on him, and Daniel's like, "Seriously, you know, this kind of like, like this isn't even going to matter by tomorrow morning." Um, so he was he was a very short lived um, you know third ruler, <laughs> but Belshazzar, Belshazzar did not repent. In chapter chapter five of Daniel stands as a stark warning to repent. We see the same thing in the in the in the chapter before, except except the king does repent, or a very similar thing. A warning is given, a, a even even a yeah, a strong warning and a show of God's God's power, and then he bends his knee. King Belshazzar doesn't, and P- King Belshazzar took his took his pride and his sin and and everything too far. Not 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 that God can't not oh, well, it's too much now. God can't save him, but he he got past the point of his last chance. Everybody has a last chance. And nobody knows when that is. But someday, because it is God who has our breath in His hands, when we breathe our last, we've had our last chance. And we've either repented or we haven't. Uh, I, 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 hope, I, hope this is, I hope I'm not all over the place here. Um, like I said, it's a familiar story, but I, I feel like I learned it for the first time in studying for this. And it is, it is such a warning. It is such a warning to the unsaved. It's a warning for those that, that are or think themselves to be. I wanna, I wanna read this little uh, piece here. Um, even those who think of themselves as Christian need to remember that simple knowledge of God does not insulate them from the consequences of sin. To turn us from the the greater dangers of a sinful path, God may well allow us to experience the consequences of sin. Always the intention of such discipline is to save His children from greater harm. Still, we must face the reality of what a continuing lack of repentance may mean. Even as we acknowledge that those who are truly the Lord's are eternally secure in them, in Him despite their sin, we have to remember to whom these promises apply. God promises His abiding care to those who love Him, and those who presume on His grace do not demonstrate love for Him. We have no certainty of a lasting relationship with the Lord if we persist in unrepentant actions or attitudes.
Those are hard words. I fielded the question, especially when I was teaching high school Bible, you know, well, can, can somebody involved in this sinful lifestyle be a Christian? Or, you know, can somebody who does this be saved? Well, anybody can be saved. But I think we don't have to work too hard to make the case that um, anybody who lives very comfortably with a sinful choice, knowingly, all of, let's be clear, all of us have sin in our lives and, and, and most of us are constantly having that sin revealed to us as we seek God's will for our lives in His Word. And God reveals more and more parts of our lives that need to be aligned with Him and His Word. But those of us who knowingly allow unrepentant sin in our lives that we feel no grief for, no need to turn from, it is not my place to tell someone they're saved or they're not saved. But I would caution that person to take a very, very hard look at their own life and their own heart and their own soul to know where they stand with God. Because it's true, that unrepentant, that unrepentant heart and spirit does not demonstrate love for God. And so to claim to be one of His children and to thumb our nose at Him at the same time is a... Uh, it's, it's quite a contradiction. And I, I, I would challenge anybody. You, you know your own lives. How comfortable are you with sin? Does it even bother you anymore? Chapter 5 of Daniel is a, uh, is a very hard warning to take it very seriously and to recognize that just knowing about God, just knowing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins is not enough to save you. Belshazzar knew of these things, but he had never bowed his knee to the God of heaven. I mean, I feel like I'm making the same point I made last week. Um, but, but it is kind of two sides of the same coin on that. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, I I feel so inadequate to to teach some of these things. Especially as I look over my own life and have to acknowledge times that I have done these very things. Times that I've been comfortable with my sin. God, I thank you that you reached down and saved me. I thank you that you didn't just allow my sin to run its course in my life. God, my our, our very breath is in your hand. And when we, when we know we are yours, there is comfort in that. But for those that are not sure, there is some fear in that. God, I pray that, I pray that each one would, would take a hard look at where they really stand. Sure, we, sure we know about God. We know about you. We know intellectually what Jesus did for us on the cross, but God, I don't know that everyone in this room 
has bowed their knee to the God of heaven. I pray that we would each take a hard look this week. I thank you for your word. I thank you for I thank you for the hard things that you loved us enough to say. To shield us from the consequences of our own sin that we might repent before it's too late. God, thank you for your word again. Thank you for the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.